più Zet International Zendition What good is sitting alone in your room Come hear the music play Life is a cabaret old chum Hello and welcome to Queer Now, the Top Film Society podcast, where we take you on a time-hopping journey through queer cinema, going decade by decade to discover how it has evolved over the years. So, I'm your host, Dave, and I'm joined by Manish, of course, and we're on to 2011 and D. Reese's Pariah. So, Manish, this is, I'm sure, a movie we have both seen more than once, um, so you're excited to talk about 2011 and Pariah. Yes, this is a really great movie, and I think there's a lot to talk about in terms of queer cinema and its sort of place in sort of the queer cinema canon. Yeah, absolutely. And also, strangely enough, we talked about the fact that a lot of queer movies are coming out stories, uh, and sometimes that can get on our nerves, but we have two in a row now. This is our second in a row. 100% of our episodes so far are coming out stories. Uh, But this one, I think, is a little different. It's got, of course, a different cultural component, and it is the more standard coming out story as far as age goes, right? Because she's like a high school student uh, figuring herself out and eventually coming out to her, you know, her parents who are not so cool with this idea. This is not beginners. This is not like, oh, you're gay? Great. Let's move on with their lives. This is not that. Um, And it's another story that's uh, semi-autobiographical. Dee Rees has basically said, like, this is not exactly my experience, but there are a lot of similarities and I took from my own experience to make this movie. So what was your, did you see this? Like when it first came out, like what was your initial reaction to Pariah? Uh, no, actually I only saw it um, for the first time last year. It was one of those movies that, you know, came out and um a little hard to find, you know, even in New York because it was, um, you know, it was a very independent film and, uh, you know, just it didn't really have the kind of breakout success as um, it probably should have. So I, it was one of those movies that I kind of missed growing up. For some reason, I felt like it didn't really sound that interesting to me, but um, it's one of, one of those movies I kept hearing about like kind of over and over again. Um, over the years, so when I finally watched it, I just was blown away by it. Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of had a similar experience. I didn't see it, I think, till maybe a year and a half ago. Um, and again, yeah. just like you, it's one of those movies like, you know, and of course, there's no seeing everything, right? Not even every queer movie, but just movies in general. Like, it's just you're going to you're going to miss some stuff. And there's so many movies that people are like. Oh my God, Dave. Oh my God, Manish. You have to see fill in the blank. Yeah. Right. Uh, and it's exhausting. And I, you know, I'm just as guilty of it. I yell at people all the time for not having seen some random movie that was only released in three theaters or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but Variety is one of those that I was told by numerous people like, oh no, you really got to watch this. It's really good. Um, and I was worried when I saw it that it was going to be built up too much because I actually saw her next movie, Mudbound, uh, which is a Netflix movie, which I liked. But I didn't love, so I was like, I don't know, maybe this is one of those, like, 
Sundance type things where everyone tells me this director is really great and then I watch it and I'm yeah. like really underwhelmed. That is not the case. Pariah is phenomenal. It is heartbreaking. It is real. It is raw. I mean, it just, oh my goodness. And I, I really like the idea that this movie does not deal in absolutes in any way. Like, yes, our lead character is clearly a lesbian. That is clear through actions, through words, through thoughts. But I like the fact that the person she hooks up with is somewhere in between. Right. She's yeah. not like I think there's a there's like a line in there like I'm not gay gay like I'm not, like I'm not like all the way on that side of that spectrum. And I thought that was a really gutsy thing to do in a coming out story, because usually in a coming out story, like, sure, the sex happens. And then, you know, the other person who's a little bit more experienced ends up getting freaked out because the person's too connected or they're just a jerk and they leave. But usually they don't throw in the aspect that this is, you know, a bi or pansexual person. And who's like, no, I'm not really looking to, like, connect with someone. Like, we were just having fun, and that's okay. And it's also totally understandable that our lead character, the first time they're finally with somebody, because the first time when you lose your virginity, the first time it's like you get so emotionally and romantically connected. Like, you're just like, oh, my God, yeah. you're the one. And then to have that person the next day be like, no, I'm good, and then leave and not want you to talk to them anymore – it is heartbreaking. Like you are with this lead character the whole way. And it is, I also like the fact that it doesn't limit itself to just a movie about romance. Like the, I think the more heartbreaking moments are near the end of the film when everything comes out and the scenes between, especially between her and her mother. Good Lord. Yeah. Like that is a lot, there's a lot to take in. And I like the fact that, you know, between the two of them, you would a lot of times you expect the father to be the violent one or the father the, to be the one who's most upset. I like the fact that they kind of flip that here. So there's a lot of things. And again, we kind of talked about like, oh, all coming out stories, blah, they all feel the same. And I like the fact that we picked two movies in our first two episodes that like, actually, you can do this well and you can kind of turn things on its head a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely find... You know, find it interesting how um, both this film and Beginners, you know, they have a coming out story that are very different from each other and very different from like sort of the typical um, coming out story that we see. Like, you know, you were saying that, you know, most coming out stories these days are like, okay, you know, you're gay, great, you know, we love you, we accept you. And on the flip side, a lot of them can be, you know, a lot more violent and um in a way where there's no nuance there's no like shade of gray and i what i like about pariah is that while it doesn't exactly excuse sort of her parents homophobia it also doesn't vilify them for it and you know they're shown as sympathetic people who make bad decisions and might not, but they're not, you know, they're not like Disney villains, you know, right. they're not yep. like they're dealing with their own stuff. And that's why they are struggling to accept their daughter. And I think it's also because there, there really isn't any kind of support system for any of these people. So right. the people that they kind of rely on are um, like, the people that they would normally rely on are slipping away from them, like their parents or their children or their friends or a potential girlfriend. 
and everything is just sort of like kind of crumbling around them. And I think that's why everyone in this movie, I mean, Alike, you know, to her credit, I mean, she's not a bad person. She doesn't really do anything that terrible in the movie, but you know, she also is in her own bubble and not really seeing her parents. She's not seeing her own parents for their own faults and struggles. Yeah, I'm also glad you brought up this idea of the kind of, not only the struggle of Alike, our main character, but the struggle of her parents as well. There's one particular scene that was very moving and upsetting to me with Arthur, her father, where he's kind of hanging out with his friends at the, like, I don't know, it's like liquor store or whatever, or like this little, you know, counter. And one of his friends first harasses um, this girl who's dressed as you would expect stereotypically a lesbian woman would and kind of gets in her face about it. And they're all kind of laughing and telling it, you know, telling him to shut up, but like, you know, still kind of egging him on a little bit. And then it kind of all turns on him and he, the, his friend makes some comment about, like, well, you would know, look at your daughter. And then everything changes. And it, it does two things. One, it shows Arthur's struggle. And it also, like, sadly removes a little bit of hope for Alike, even though she's not there. Because you do have this yeah. moment of, like, well, her dad really loves her. And they're really connected. So he wouldn't do anything terrible. But you see his reaction to the very idea that someone would think his daughter is a lesbian and it is violent and scary. And it's just like, it is a rough and like one thing to say about this movie is that this is like impeccably acted throughout. Like there is not to me, there's not, there's not a weak spot here. All of this Mm -hmm. does feel very genuine. And one thing we didn't mention, you know, we talked about in the last movie, how there wasn't uh, a lot of queer people working on this movie. And, you know, this one, we have that, right? We have Dee Rees, who is a lesbian, and is essentially telling her own story. And I just can't imagine, like, how brutal this must have been to put in writing and to put on film. And, of course, we don't know how much is exactly autobiographical. And if, like, there was violence in her home, who knows? But, like, that, that sequence between her and her mother, like, I remember when I first saw this, like, how much that took me by surprise. Like, just the ferocity of that violence. Like, I was expecting maybe a slap or, like, a push. But it's, I mean, it's really hard to watch. Even on a second time through, I'm still kind of not prepared for a child to be treated that way. Yeah, I mean, it's very raw and brutal. Um, But there also, I feel like, you know, moments of, you know, warmth between them, which I appreciated because, you know, it's a more more nuanced relationship than, but I, you know, I liked, I I found it interesting that the mother's sort of um, homophobia came from religion. And we should mention that this is uh, Kim Wayans playing the character. Her name is Audrey. And I think what what's interesting about the religion part of it is that it's, you know, I'm, I'm always here for a critique of organized religion, um, especially, <laughs> you know, I, I went to Catholic school. And so... Me too. You know, I, I always kind of have that. Yeah, right. So I always kind of have that um, on my mind, you know, whenever I you know, see stories like this. Organized religion in a way like really warps with your head because like the things that should come naturally to you just it really feels like like just so foreign, right? So like accepting your daughter for who she is, even just letting her dress the way she wants to dress, it's like 
the kind of thing where it's like, well, you know, duh, right? Like, why wouldn't you do it? But <laughs> this sort of idea of, it, it's not even the religion itself, but like the organized part of it, like just like the community and like, you know, what will people say and, you know, acting like, acting properly and stuff like that. It really, it really gets into your, into your mind. And it's really, it's really hard to fight it. I mean, honestly, so I kind of understand, like, you know, where Audrey is coming from, but I also think that it's in within her power to, like, break that cycle. And the fact that, but I like that she, in, in a way, doesn't because, you know, it would be too tidy. Right? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that is, that's probably the most heartbreaking moment to me about this movie it's not the violence it's not that she leaves uh because that is framed in like just kind of a beautiful powerful way like that line i'm not running i'm choosing is just like oh yeah oh my god d reeves like where did you pull that from that is oh my god like if that doesn't if that moment doesn't make you tear up then like i don't know you might seek a doctor because your heart is missing because that is right oh my god it's so perfect and without feeling without feeling like it's playing with you you know it just feels like no this is really where alike is at right now like she has finally reached the point where she's like i'm okay on my own i don't need to be here for this but the most heartbreaking part of this is that alike goes to her mother after all this has happened meets with her tells her that she loves her, wants a relationship with her, and Audrey just can't, she can't bring herself to do it. And you know that somewhere deep down, like, she loves her daughter. She wants this, she wants things to be different, but not in a way where she is going to change her stance. She just wants her daughter magically to like boys, to want to get married, to want to get to wear dresses, whatever that thing is. And it's actually, like, you know, Kim Wayans is not someone who is known as this like phenomenal dramatic actress. Like she's right. much more known comedically. But oh my god, like watching this and just watching her act without a lot of dialogue in that sequence is very moving. And it's like it's such a challenging thing to have a character lash out violent violently at like a seventeen year old and their daughter, and yet by the end there's a tiny piece of us that feels bad for her. Because she just can't make that leap. Alike is making a leap. She is choosing. She is going on with her life. She is figuring it out. But, like, her family can't bring herself to do it. And the same can be said of her father, too. Who knows that she's in the right and knows what his wife did was wrong. But he can't leave that relationship. He can't leave his wife behind. He has to, like, stand with her even when she's doing something that is destroying the family from the inside out. I mean, he's also destroying the family as well because of his infidelity, which is something True. that um, it's it's something that that kind of points to this sort of vicious cycle this family is in. You know, she is stepping out on them, so the mother Audrey is. Uh, reacting by sort of focusing so intensely on her children and sort of creating this hostile environment there. And then he, seeing that, is like, don't want to be here. So he leaves. And so it's just sort of this thing where it's like someone needs to, you know, take a step back and sort of see why how they're trapped in this 
environment and they're really not helping each other to get out of it. In fact, they're, um, for the most part, just making it even worse for each other. What I love about this movie, which I find so fascinating, is that aside from being a coming out story, it feels very much a story about this really heartbreaking family. Mm -hmm. And also it's a story about, you know, um, a marriage in, in a sense and how sort of the toxicity of a marriage can spread to the children in ways that are just like wrenching but fascinating to watch. I mean, like, and just the way that the two sisters can um, find themselves and uh, lean on each other for support and relief and, um, and love because they just can't get it from their parents. One thing I love from like a like a structural perspective, from a script perspective, is the fact that they have the father like working late nights and the mom being up early in the morning. So like not only are they separated by you know the way they by his infidelity, by the way she's focused on the kids, but like they're almost never in the same space together either. Yeah. Like there is a dividing yeah. line built into the story which makes you which makes you understand why that communication isn't there. Uh, without doing a lot of like talking about it because they can't talk to one another because they're never in the same place. So I just really like that. Well, I, I want to kind of switch gears a little and ask you a little bit about you know your thoughts on you know fashion in this movie and clothing and mm -hmm. identity. Mm -hmm. It's very rare we see a lot of butch fashion um, mm -hmm. in films. When we see when we see lesbian films, a lot of them, especially the coming out stories, are like more focused on comedy, more focused on the like, you know, the kind of quote unquote lipstick lesbian that is a little yeah. bit more accessible, especially for male viewers, perhaps. Um, so it's really good. It almost felt like the very, you know, because you get it from the very first scene, it almost feels like a subculture, right? That we don't get not only yeah. like kind of. Uh, butch lesbians, but like basically everyone in this movie is black, and we don't really get a lot of that either in our in our gay films, in our queer films. Is actually having people of color. Of course, you know we'll talk later in this decade about Moonlight, so we'll come back to that. But even that that years later did feel like revolutionary to see to see black gay people on screen. Um, so it's nice to kind of. Because I saw this, of course, after Moonlight. So it's nice to kind of go back and be like, oh, this stuff actually exists. Like, this is actually out there. Um, yeah. And also, like, just the idea of, you know, you brought up fashion and this idea of fitting into a mold that other people want you to. Like, she is clearly so much more comfortable when she's dressing in her own style. Alike, that is. And then when she comes home, she's, like, forced into this feminine box um, that her mother puts on her. Even there's a sequence where they're all going to church and it's just like, no, you can't wear this. You got to wear it like this. You got to do it like that. And until the father is just like, oh my God, whatever, please just shut the fuck up. Just, just fine. Go. You all look beautiful. Yeah. Get out of my face. You know, <laughs> which is, right. you know, it's interesting looking back on that scene because during that scene, I found that very funny and very endearing. But then, like, after the movie ends and you look back on that and you're like, oh, there's a lot more going on with mom and dad there than yeah. we really knew yeah. at this point. Uh, but fashion, I think, plays a huge part. And it 
and it should, uh, because like, I don't know how many 15, 16, 17 year olds you've met. Fashion is important. The way they're expressing themselves right. is really important. And I think sometimes in a lot of movies that gets left behind, you know, so it's nice. And it's also nice to see fashion that's not readily acceptable to middle America or like the general population. It's like something that actually stands out, you know, something that, that, Style tends to hide the stereotypical form of femininity that we're used to. So I really like that they said yeah. that from the very, like literally the first scene, like the first time you see her, she is in her actual element. This is one of the few movies I've seen where like Butch is actually seen as a fashion choice, not not something that you know women do because they don't know fashion you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it's a whole kind of thing of like oh you know she's a tomboy who dresses in the sweats and whatever and then she'll figure it out you know she'll figure it out and then she wears a dress and now she's beautiful but it's like Mm. this is an actual conscious choice that alike is making and that's how she expresses herself and when she is um wearing more feminine clothes i mean the body language is so um just so like uh awkward and you know uncomfortable to even watch Mm -hmm. a dead pair of douille is just so good in sort of projecting that um that sort of physicality of just like squirming you know in her like church clothes and um and so, and like uh, this movie reminded me a lot, a little, well, not a lot. Uh, this movie did remind me of my childhood a little, um, because like there'd be times where like my parents were like, you can't wear that. It's like too girly, you know, especially because like I was like really into scarves when I was like 12. <laughs> <laughs> of course, like subconsciously, I just gravitated towards like scarves that had a more like feminine look to them just because I thought they were prettier than, you know, stupid like beige ones, you know. <laughs> And, like, I just, like, wouldn't, um, just, like, wouldn't, like, be able to be allowed to wear them. And it's just sort of, like, it's just the kind of thing where it's, like, your parents, you know, they think they're looking out for you. And they are, in a sense. But also, they're stifling you. My, my parents weren't as bad as Alika's parents. But <laughs> definitely, like, yeah, right? Um but, like, definitely, like, there was this element of, like, you need to make sure that you, you know, look proper for the way that, you know, you're – for the place you're going and for the kind of person, you know, you are. So, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and then there's, like – one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when uh, Audrey is showing her coworker that, like, fuchsia blouse. Oh, yeah. And who just assumes that it's for <laughs> her or for her younger daughter. And it's just so. Oh, the other one. Awkward. Oh, yeah, okay. right? And yeah. it's just so like. You can just tell that even this stranger knows more about Alike than her mother does. Well, yeah, her mother's in total denial at this point. Right. And you can yeah. tell it. And you can tell deep down she knows because this hurts her that this, right. that this woman would say that. And I thought you said you were ready. I am ready. You're not going to church in that. What's wrong with this? Where's that blouse I bought you? What's wrong with this? Dad! Do what your mom says. Are you hungry? Here, let me heat this up for you. That's okay. Oh, it tastes so much better. Just leave it. Leave. Leave me out of it. Now go get changed. Dad, what's wrong with this outfit? 
Nothing. See, I'm not gonna argue with you. Do what she says. Dad. Ungawa. And put on a skirt. Give me a beer, please. It's Sunday morning. It goes with the spaghetti. Too much lip gloss. Did you talk to her? Surround is fine. I'm talking about Lee. I leaked that. And I don't see that there's a problem. I'm tired of this whole tomboy thing she's been doing. And Laura? You said that you were gonna handle it. Mm-hmm. She needs a male point of view. I said okay, damn it. Do you have to work tonight? To put food on the table and clothes on our backs? No. To go to restaurants and keep designer sneakers in the closet? Yes. Are you forever gonna be mad? Are you forever gonna be happy? You made that decision a long time ago. We both made sacrifices. You look beautiful, baby. Tuck your blouse in. This isn't me. Tuck it in. Leave it out. I think it's fine out. You coming with us? Nope, sleep. We could do a later service, maybe the one o'clock. I said no. I'm ready. Sharonda, Elike, you look beautiful. Everybody looks beautiful, okay? Uh, also, in terms of fashion, I think it's one of the first times I can remember seeing um, this kind of quote unquote butch style as desirable too like you have yeah. uh laura played by pernell walker who's alike's best friend and like like laura is a player like there's there are women all yeah. over her throughout basically the entire movie you know so that was like a neat and kind of interesting thing to see that not only like oh this is where i'm comfortable but like no this is actually a good thing within this community so that was really cool to see but are we gonna are we gonna talk about this entire movie and not mention the strap on are we are we really gonna because <laughs> that scene is gold like that is like it's so good i mean i love it because there's when you're part of a of a culture like a subculture whatever you want to call it there's like stuff that goes along with it right and we're just like oh yeah. well they'll figure it out Right. But like the first time you get involved with stuff like this, you're like, how does this? Oh, my God. How does this work? How does this like am I supposed to wear it with yeah. this? Like, where? Oh, I look stupid. And in this case, like, why is it white? Like, what is going on? And it's just like it's incredible. And also incredible was her sister walking in on that. And her initial reaction is like one of the probably one of the funniest moments of 2011 on film. Like it's just it's so good because it's so real. No little sister is going to walk into her big sister's room and see her with a strap on and not have a reaction. So I'm glad that 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 moment is there because coming out is hard no matter what. But it's not just saying I am this. I'm labeling myself as this. It's like. All the other stuff that goes along with now, like, oh, I'm gay now, yeah. so now I have to do all these things that I don't, I don't understand really, but it's a gay thing now, so I guess I do this, you know? And it was just like, oh, this is so, and it's a light moment that is so needed because the movie is so heavy. There's not a lot of moments of lightness in this. Although when Alike is first like getting into her love interest, like, Adapero do a smile. In this movie is so pure, 
Like it just like yeah. when she is with someone that she cares about and she wants to be with, like her whole countenance changes. Because most of the movie she is hiding and terrified and scowling. And then when she smiles, oh my good like I was like, I could watch I want to watch a romantic comedy with this woman in it. I know. Because she's so yeah. so enjoyable in it. So it's nice that you have in the midst of all this heaviness, you have these moments of levity and these moments of happiness. So you realize there is something to go towards for Alike. Instead of just like, well, now she's out of the closet, but she's homeless. Well, everything is screwed up. But like, right. no, there's an actual reason here. And I like that it gives you that light at the end of the tunnel. So, so I do want to circle back and talk about Laura because I think she's a very fascinating character. Mm-hmm. Like Laura was kicked out and now she's like working to support herself. And I believe her sister, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's fascinating because she also kind of comes from this very difficult life. But the way she projects for herself is this sort of like confident, you know, kind of player almost. Cause you were like, like you were saying, like she has like kind of women funding all over her, which I think is interesting because, you know, that's a very heteronormative kind of um, like persona. Uh, not in, in the sense that like have like where your like social status is um, increased by like having, you know, beautiful women kind of draped over you. Mm-hmm. That's something that I, you know, you associate that with like men in like, you know, gangster movies or like Game of Thrones or whatever, you know? <laughs> right. And so, like, uh, do you have any thoughts on that and how, like, you know, Laura being an out and open, confident lesbian still playing into that image of, you know, needing to have sort of these like sexy girls around her. Mm. That's interesting. I didn't think of that, but you're absolutely right. That is a very like masculine thing to do or to want. Um, But I like, I like a couple things. One, I like the fact that there's so much, there's so many characters who are kind of like not gay, gay, but like, you know, they're experimenting and they're figuring things out. And I think, you know, it's important to remember also that, Laura's young, right? Laura is not someone who came out of the closet and they're now in their like late 20s and they're like figuring they've got things figured out. Like, yeah, she dropped out of high school, but she's still that age, right? So right. she's still immature. So when you're 18, I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't want the, the people you're attracted to to be all over you and to be, you know, and to not have any connections and to just kind of go through life. So I think, but I think you're right that it's interesting and can get us into a little bit of a danger zone, right? To have the stereotypically masculine roles played by the butch lesbian characters. Right. Um, but. You know, I think that's a stereotype, but there are all there are always hidden truths within stereotypes. That doesn't mean right, every exactly. butch lesbian is like, oh, well, they're just acting like a man. That's not what that is, and that's not what this podcast is about. But there are certainly butch lesbians who I've met who fit that stereotype, and maybe Laura is one of those. And that's why I'm so yeah. glad you have those bits with her sister to make her a complete character. That it's not just like someone that Alike looks up to, like, oh, that's the person I want to be. That's who I, that's who I want to be like. You know, there's more to it. And also, I like the apology scene uh, between yeah. Laura and Alike. Because Laura does kind of treat Alike like shit a little bit in the middle of it. Like, there's reasoning behind it, but still maybe a little too harsh. And I like that they both kind of are able to drop down and have a real conversation because. 
And I think that's something maybe that people outside of gay communities sometimes don't realize, right? Is if you're a gay man, not every other gay man that you meet is a might be a sexual partner. We can be friends. You know, we can we can connect mm-hmm. on different levels. And the same thing with lesbian women. You know, you can have yeah. connections there that are intimate that are never going to be sexual. So it's kind of cool that you got to yeah. see that too between these two girls. Absolutely. All right. So, um, um, so at this point, um, what do you think? What do you think we've learned now with our 2011 entry from Pariah? It's a movie about choice, in a sense. It's a movie about you know how you choose to dress, who you choose to be friends with, who you choose to associate with, and kind of what decisions you make for yourself to ensure that you can have a better life. So we talked about the sort of ending line, I'm not running, I'm choosing. And like, I think that's a really terrific line because I, it's, it could be easy for someone to see a league, you know, leaving home for, you know, California or wherever she's going and being like, well, you're just running away from your problems. You're not trying to fix your parents. You're not trying to, you know, get them to see you for who you are, you're just running away. But in fact, she is realizing that, you know, it might be a hopeless situation at home. And mm-hmm. not all homophobes can be, you know, converted or whatever. Right. So, um, you know, she's choosing to figure out her own life from there. And I think that is what I find very profound about this movie is that Alike is someone on paper who doesn't have a lot of choices. I mean, she's from a low-income neighborhood. She's kind of stuck in a religious homophobic family. She's being forced to, you know, do, um, you know, do what her parents say. But I think once she realizes that she has that power within herself, you know, then she can kind of thrive on her own. And like, I love the last scene, but I also love the scene with her and her father on the roof because mm-hmm. you sort of see this like expansive vista around her and she feels so powerful and um, confident in herself. And I find and she finally realized that she doesn't need to be kind of tossed around by her parents. So I, I find that to be very, uh, very profound and beautiful. What about you? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up this notion of choice. Of course, like it's it's written in the script, of course, but I I also like the fact you brought up that it could be very easy to see this as running away from your problems. And of course, the line mm-hmm. says, like, I'm not running, so leave me alone, essentially. But I also <laughs> love the fact that there's a scene after that where she does make one last attempt to, you know, get back with her mother and figure things out together. And I think if you don't have that, then it's much easier to be like, well, she's running away from her problems. Like she yeah. she gave it another try, even after getting punched in the face. Like that, okay, you can't <laughs> you can't say she's running away anymore. Cause I don't know, even at 40, let alone at 17, if I would have been strong enough to go tell someone I love them after they hauled off and punched me in the eye. Like that's I we've hit a line. You've hit me. It's time for me to go. So I love that. I absolutely adore that that scene is there. Um, I think in terms of what I've learned, um, there's there's a couple things. One is that, yes, 
it's a movie about choice, but it's also about you can't be your best self unless you are your real self. Mm-hmm. I think the movie makes a point. One one thing we haven't mentioned, there's this kind of back and forth with one of her teachers who's kind of, you know, helping her with her writing and trying to like push her. And there's a lot of like, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It would be good for anyone else, but you're better than this. And I think a lot of that mm-hmm. is couched in the fact that she's hiding who she is and she's not expressing who she is in a real sense. And it's not yeah. a coincidence that she comes up with her most powerful written line after she's come out of the closet, after she's had a sexual relationship, after she's made up with her friend, after she is now actually Alike. And she's not the Alike that her mother wants. She's not the Alike that her friend wants. She has become a fully formed person. And you can like and that is such a powerful message that's kind of unwritten. It's not like you know, on the page, but it's there that like, unless we are honest with ourselves about who we are, what we want, where we want to go, what we want to do with our lives, we're never going to get there. So she, it's so cool that this movie ends, even though all this terrible stuff happens, it ends on this wonderful, positive note. You know, like I'm not, I'm not running. I'm choosing. She is off to live her life. We don't know. Who's going to be in her life? We don't know if her friends are going to follow her. We don't know if she's going to get into more romantic relationships. But we know, we know that Alike is going to be okay, which is crazy considering everything yeah. you just mentioned. That she is, she doesn't have a job. She's homeless. She is black in America. She is poor. She has like almost everything against her. Except like, you know, in terms of in terms of all those things, like she doesn't have any physical disabilities. That's like the only thing that's not working against her right now. And yet, yeah, as that's the credits roll, our hearts kind of soar a little bit. And we're like, look, she came out of this terrible situation. And I think I think she I think Alika is going to be OK, you know, and that is a very shocking message for the rest of the like 85 minutes of this movie, because everything just feels either so awkward or so painful or so terrifying that the fact that they managed, D. Reeves managed to make this movie that at the end you're like, yes, everything is going to be okay for Alike, and I am fully rooting for her. Like, that is a really cool, constructed film. And it's just like, and the fact that this is a first film is pretty impressive. Like it is so, so good. And also like we should mention, uh, sometimes people need a little help getting these things. And Spike Lee was actually a producer of this movie. Yeah. So this movie doesn't get made without someone like Spike Lee. So that's pretty cool that people are, you know, assisting queer filmmakers in that way, not only with their words, but with their pocketbook too. So that's pretty cool. I also want to mention that this movie was shot by Bradford Young and mm-hmm. won a cinematography prize at Sundance. Um, As it and, should. You know, she went on to movies like Arrival. Yeah, I know this movie looks so... I mean, the lighting in this movie itself is just so yep. stunning. I mean, like, some of the scenes, like, at um, at our house when it's just, like, lit by these, like, low lamps are just so beautiful because they're just so isolating and yeah. sad. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah really, really the, great stuff there. And that lighting you mentioned, like that first scene, like it is like you could tell when a cinematographer knows how to light people of color. Like you see it right away, and wow, Bradford Young really knows what he's doing. Like yeah. just immediately from like the first second of this movie, you're like, oh my god, this looks stunning. 
You know, and a lot of times if you get cinematographers who are only used to working with white people, uh, then the black people on screen tend to just kind of disappear into the shadows. Yeah. Uh, and you definitely don't get that here. So it's like, you know, yes, it's a great coming of age movie. It's a great coming out movie. But I think sometimes, at least when I was growing up watching quote unquote gay movies, they seemed, how can I say this nicely? I don't know that I can, but they seem very low rent. You know, like not a lot of money behind it, not great cinematography behind it, not a lot of interesting directorial choices behind it. And this is not that like this. This fits in with like, you know, an art house film, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just stunning. But I guess one thing we didn't talk about and every episode we were supposed to talk about this. So uh, we're talking about the Russo test. Um, So obviously this film contains a character that is identifiably lesbian, gay, bisexual or transgender. Very clearly. Um, And do you think do you think this character is shown solely or predominantly defined by by her orientation or is there more to her? I think there's more to her. I mean, she has her writing. She has her um, relationship with her parents and with her friends um, and her romantic relationship. But I know, like, a lot of things are tied to her queerness. But I think that, you know, if this were a movie about, you know, teen wanting to, you know, pursue a certain, you know, field or whatever that his parents disapproved of or, like, I or something to that effect, you know, I think not a lot of this movie would change regarding that, you know, I think, um, and I, I feel like Alike is such a, um, like, three-dimensionally drawn character that I don't think that, I think this movie passes that second prong of the test. I mean, I think the only thing challenging about it, and I think we're going to run into this with coming out stories, is that, all of these things that we talked about, her relationships with her friends, her relationships with her family, mm-hmm. her romantic life, her writing is all like at least indirectly tied to her journey and figuring out her sexuality. But yeah, but they would but all I, exist in some way. Agree. Yeah. So I think it, it definitely yeah. does pass. And, you know, the last piece is the character must be tied into the plot in a way that their removal would have a significant effect. And when you have your lead character uh, as the queer character, then yes. I think that third piece gets a little more difficult in movies like maybe we talked about last week in Beginners, where it's not the focus of the film isn't necessarily the queer character. But obviously, yeah. if you remove a leak from this movie, things are a little bit different because it probably doesn't exist. So, right. you know, they, I think it definitely, it definitely passes all this. Um, so again, we're on like a good streak here, two very good movies in a row uh, i think we both like just we want i i at least i'll speak for myself i want as many people as can to see this movie because this I is i mean it's just so cool not only to see a very different kind of uh coming out movie but also to see, like you should take advantage when you can see relatively recently like the first film of someone that i think will probably be remembered as far as directors like i think d reese is going to be one of those that people are going to go back years from now and be like oh my god did you know she made pariah this is incredible this is her first movie and we're lucky enough to be watching movies at the time when she's just starting out and just getting budgets and that is really cool so we would i think we would both say like just rush out and see this please absolutely check it out um but, Anish, what is coming up in 2012 as we make our way through the 2010s? It's like basically the same movie as Pariah, right? 
Like no difference. Yeah, I mean for sure. The... Well, it does have a prior figure. Oh, nice! Very well done. Uh, we're talking about the 2012 like uh, animated film Paranorman, uh, a movie that I love with my whole heart, and I'm very excited to talk about and how it fits, you know, within uh, queer cinema, especially the Russo test. I think there might be has some interesting mm. results there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we will be taking a look at, you know, some fucking cartoons next week, so all you children who, you know, only only like cartoons in Paddington will finally have something that you can hey, you oh can actually God. watch. Uh, I just couldn't let it go. I'm sorry. Um, but Manish, before we go, why don't you tell people where they can find you online? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at the Manish89. That's T H E M A N I S H eight nine. Also at TalkFilmSociety.com, where you can catch my writing. Yes, absolutely. This is a Talk Film Society podcast, so be sure to check out both of our writing. I do writing and editing over there, and Manish is one of our most productive writers, so you should definitely check out his stuff. Uh, you can follow them at Talk Film. SOC, uh, and you can follow me at Dave A. Giannini, G I A N N I N I. Can't even spell my last name. And uh, we will be back next time to talk about 2012.